the surface I was pretending I had it all together you know mm. but I didn't at all you know my life was a, it was a bit of a train wreck to be honest with you like you know but it like I said it didn't happen suddenly this happened over a period of 10 20 years do you know what I mean Hello and welcome to the Loom Rooms. I am your host, Matt. And at the Loom Rooms, we love to talk to various different people about their journeys uh, with God, uh, their faith, and just find out a bit more about their their story and, and how they came to be part of Loom. And today we're joined by the lovely Mark. Hello, Mark. How are you? How are you, Matt? Yes, good, fine. It's great to be I'm, here. I'm, Looking forward it's to great it. to see you. I know that we, we've been thinking about this for, for quite a while. We've been talking about it for quite yeah, a while. Indeed. I finally got you on camera. Fantastic. <laughs> I, I, I note by your voice and our, our viewers might might, note, might notice uh, that although I come with a, a Hertfordshire uh, border Essex uh, twang, you don't <laughs> come with that, do you? So where are you from, Mark? Where's the accent hail from? So I'm from South Wales, originally from Cardiff. Did you did you grow up um, in a in a church? Did you did you have any faith or anything like that? Well, my parents uh, practiced the Mormon faith, okay. and I was brought up in that faith and decided it wasn't for me. By the age of about sixteen, I walked away from that. Fine. Um, and, and and did you go straight into you know um, what's, what's the best way to phrase it? Traditional Christianity, or, no. or what happened? So okay. after being brought up in the Mormon faith, I walked away from from God, even though I've always had a grid for Father God, Jesus, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit. From the age of about 16, I walked away and did what a lot of people did. I was a typical sort of teenager, started going down the pub with my mates in, in the sixth form. That's when I started, I started going out with my mates in the sixth form and we used mm. to go to local pubs and whatnot and the usual things you do in the sixth form when you're in the world sort of thing and at 18 I moved in with my grandparents right. I've always been very well when they were alive I was very close to my mother's mum and dad I went to live with them because there was there was no room in the house anymore I worked from the age of 18 to 21 and mm. I decided I've got A-levels I wasn't really settled I wasn't really happy and a, a good friend of mine Rob who I went to school with he'd gone to Derby University the year before and I remember catching up with him he said why didn't you come to why didn't you go to university why didn't you apply for university and I thought you know what? I'm going to do that do you know what I mean there's no reason why I can't mm-hmm. and I did and I applied okay. I didn't know what to do and I applied and I did a, 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 a to, to do a business degree and yeah from the age of 21 to the age of 25 I spent in Derby. I went to Derby University, got a, a 2-2 in business administration, met a lot of friends. Funny enough, I'm not in contact with them anymore because, you know, it's just life, I suppose. You just move on and, right. and um, you know, people go their, their separate ways sort of thing. What did you do after back. uni then? So you, you, you got this business administration degree. Did you... Did you set up a business? I mean, I know that I know you've got you know various businesses. Um, mm. You're very entrepreneurial. That's what I know about you. Anyway, I got a free hat because of it. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but but like what like early early years um, after after uni, well, what what did you do? When I come so when I come back from university, my uncle by this point is he's 
he's gone from having a couple of um, takeaways and pizzerias. He'd gone on to open um, quite a few other businesses as well. So Hmm. back in 1996 is when I finished university. And when I come back, I went to work for him again because he had, I think at the time, six different operations. He had basically a, like a cafe style bistro, a couple of fast food outlets, a baguette shop. He'd opened up a fine dining restaurant and bar. And then a bit later on, then we opened up a nightclub. Mm. And yeah, I basically became his operations manager. So I, I, I fell into working in business at quite a young age, at quite a, a high level, should we say, you know, operating six different businesses at 20, what was I, 25 years old, you know, so Mm. I learned, I was thrown in at the deep end, basically, which is, you know, it's a real blessing. It's not many people get to have that amount of responsibility at that age, do you know what I mean? So Mm. I learned fast, learned about P&Ls, learned about forecasting, budgeting, the operational side of running a business, marketing, promotions, accountancy. You have to wear many hats, don't you, when when you've got a business. like Again, you know, it's uh, when it's multiple businesses, it's even more difficult juggling, juggling all those roles. Yeah. Let's look back. We must have had, you know, I don't know, we had, must have had about over a, 100 staff between all the different businesses easily okay i mean the nightclub alone had about 30 staff so that's just one operation i look back and i think wow i can't believe i did that actually 10 years i worked for him in that time i bought a house when i was about early 30s and then that sort of came to an end i sold my house and went traveling which is another story over the space of about 10 years my life slowly unraveled. My lifestyle got worse and worse and worse. I was partying a lot and trying to work as well. And, mm. you know, in the end, um, me and my uncle, like I said, we parted company. And I thought, I need to get away from all this. Do you know what I mean? I need to get away from it all. Right. So, did, did, Do you think you knew that there was something wrong? Do you think you knew that there'd been this? Um, and you did, I don't think you used this word, but I'll use it. Do, do you think there was this? decline because from the outside i mean you said all the good things you know you had you had this this job you know mm. by all by all accounts a, a good job you'd had this house you know mm. you got this lifestyle you know from the outside everyone's thinking flipping it yeah mark's got it all together but yeah. i mean do you think people thought that is is that the image you tried to project or 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 do you do you feel you're pretty authentic about it you let people in on no i don't how, how you really I, was I, kept it all to myself. Do you know what I mean? I, I was living a, uh, a charade, a, a, you know, it was, you know, on the surface, I was pretending I had it all together, you know, mm. but I didn't at all. You know, my life was, a, it was a bit of a train wreck, to be honest with you. I, you know, but it, like I said, it didn't happen suddenly. This happened over a period of 10, 20 years. Do you know what I mean? But see, when I was working for my uncle, we used to drink a lot anyway. After work, this okay. is how it started. It's quite subtle, actually. And well, a lot you're in a people, nightclub, you, you know. <laughs> what, what else are you going to do well, there? A lot of people, well, it's... See, a lot of people who like run pubs and stuff like that end up 
being alcoholics anyway because they're around alcohol all the time people want to buy you drinks and stuff like that you know I tried not to drink in work initially during the first 10 years I wasn't drinking in work but I was drinking heavy outside of work and partying outside of work and trying to hold down hold down a job this job and partying as well I burnt out do you know what I mean it was you know trying Mm. to burn in a candle at both ends we always used to drink hard and drink heavy and we and then I started drinking midweek and I'd sort of on my you know I'd finish work if I was working in the office I'd finish work say six o'clock and I'd go for a like for a session on a Tuesday night and a Wednesday night some days I'd be going out after work four nights a week I remember just feeling rough in work the following day I spent half my time just feeling hungover and then somebody introduced me to recreational drugs and and I'd go through sort of phases of, um, you know, taking ecstasy and then cocaine. And then, you know, when I look back, it was a real hedonistic life, you know, real hedonistic life. The people I knocked around with, they were, you know, everybody was, was were into the same thing, you know, recreational drugs, mm. drinking. It's really weird. It's... You know, I think my uncle, he most probably knew deep down. We, ne- we never really talked about it, but I think he, he knew that my lifestyle was not really fitting, mm. you know, the job. You know, and people who drink and they take drugs, if you're working, you're not productive at all, you know. And I used mm. to have these lucid periods in my life where I would go six months a year and I'd be clean and I'd be really productive and effective in work. And then I'd Mm. go through periods where I'd just be really hammering it. And I just, you know, I must have looked a mess, to be honest with you. Were you addicted to it? I mean, could you look back at that and you think, oh, actually, I could pick it up and put it down. Some people are like that. Other people just grabs hold of them and... Well, this is it. The early years... Won't let go without a struggle. Yeah, the early years, the first 10 years, from the age of like 25 to 35, it was your typical binge drinking you go out after work and drink and you you, Mm -hmm. I was a heavy drinker um okay later on in life that changed I'll 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 talk about that in a bit but you know it's Mm -hmm. and this is the thing with alcoholism for some people for a lot of people I think it's a slow um decay for want of a better word it's a you know a slow a slippery slope but it's a slow decline where you know you're lying to yourself a lot it's when when I look back, you know it's a bit of a haze to be honest. You, you know, and I, mm. I honestly, I just, I think back at some of the things I've done, and I, can, you know, this, there'll be a lot of stuff I can't even remember, and that's through alcohol. Do you know what I mean? And I, mm. It did get worse where you know I started drinking heavy, and you can't, you couldn't remember the night before, mm. and that was you know that was a real problem, and that that started happening more and more and more. Yeah. Um, I mean, you noticed there was a problem then because you, you said you, you stopped working for your uncle and you decided to go travelling. Where did you go? Where did you end up going? When I was 35, I'd had my house about five years and I'd come up with this really, really clever idea to <laughs> sell my house and travel the world with the equity from the house, which is, the, okay. in the, looking back, it's most probably one of the stupidest things I've ever done. Do you know what I mean? I really did <laughs> regret that because it was, you know... At the time, honestly, I thought this was going to be a life-changing experience. And, you know, it was going to be a great adventure. I had this 
money in my pocket and we were gonna you know have a great time and it was gonna i was gonna see the world and la 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 but i took myself with me do you know what i mean so you know I, all i did was okay. just take my me my problems and just took it around the world nothing had changed do you know what i mean so you right. know we landed in thailand that was the first stop and again just a drunken haze but you know again it was just it was just a drinking just obviously this time i'm not working i'm just traveling and just drinking all mm. and i just burned through that money you know within a year i ended up yeah. in new zealand in auckland and i had to get a job because within six months of of me leaving i'd spent all the money that i'd you know the equity from my house and we were just partying which is really you know looking back really not wise at all in fact it mm. a really stupid thing to do do you know what i mean because you know that house was a gift from god do you know what i mean I, it was it was a lovely home and mm. you know i'd i was very blessed to to have this home in a, a moment of stupidity thought it was a really good idea to to sell the house and it's quite interesting when I come back from traveling, which was literally a year later, I had absolutely nothing. And that's when my, my problems really started because I came back right. and it was like, I, I came back home to, it was like, what have I done? What have I done? You know, not only have I given up a good job, I've sold my house. And now, and I remember I had to get a, a friend of mine Mark, he had to pick me up from Heathrow Airport in his van. The things that happen, Matt, in, in drink, your life can just, we do stupid things in alcohol, you know? And I've done, mm. I've had my fair share of just idiotic, stupid, quite dangerous things at times in under the influence of alcohol and drugs. Anyway, I came home and I had £20 in my pocket and that's all I had to my name. <sighs> come back to Heathrow Airport, I didn't have a penny. How I got home from Auckland with 20 quid is that's, you know, it's a miracle in itself, do you know what I mean? How I managed to get back because I had to change my flights and there was a lot of messing around and I thought, I'm not, I'm not going to get home and I've got no way, you know. Right. Um, again, and it, again, when I look back, it was God looking after me, do you know what I mean? It was God, mm. even before I became a Christian, he had his hand on my life. And there's loads and loads of different occasions when that happened. When I look back at my life, the, the amount of times that I've been in some serious scrapes over the years. And to travel halfway around the world with £20 in your pocket. And then, you know, luckily my mate picked me up and he took me back to Cardiff. And then I had to try and rebuild my life. And mm. it was a very sobering, sobering experience because I thought I've got absolutely... Was sober in the word? Was sober in the word though, Mark? Um, like, like, what was, was it sober in? Or no, I was still in denial. Do you know what I mean? I got a job, right, in a bar uh, as a, a bar manager. Again, around alcohol, I was drinking, but this time, because I was quite depressed because of what I'd thrown away, I was drinking heavier and right. you know partying heavier. And I think that was a turning point in my life before going traveling even though I was drinking heavily and my life was coming off the rails I had certain things in that kept me in check so I had a home I had a mortgage to pay 
I had a job, I worked for Oracle and it was a good job and it was, it kept me in check. You know, when I came back, you know, I, I saw it as a downgrade in employment and I was just, you know, right. a bar manager for this guy and, you know, my ego had taken a bit of a hit. I wasn't this sort of Jack the lad around town anymore. And then I got a job running a pub in, in Salisbury. That was it. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, this, I'm running my own pub at this point, And this is where I started drinking really heavily because it's just, I'm in charge of my own pub. <laughs> There's no limitations to what I can do. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm in charge. Well, you of the control place. the books, don't you? I so control you, the books. You, you I control, control what comes in, and what I goes st- out, you know, what isn't talked about and it was quite a stressful job because it was only me and I was I was working like 100 mm. hours a week do you know what I mean it was 24 7 and and I remember I was I started drinking shorts then and I you know then I only did it for six months I couldn't do it after that I was drinking really heavily and I had to quit I was just like I, I'm gonna have a breakdown if I carry on like this or I'm gonna die mm. you know I was it was a a dark time and my life is just going slowly downhill you know alcohol's taking more and more of a grip of me it's starting to control me by this point you know mm. um lost that job couldn't keep it down then and this is what happened then i i went through phases of of getting jobs and then losing them couldn't keep them mm. because of drink and you know by this point I, I got a job as a um, an operations manager. This this was a really good job actually for Hard Rock Cafe because the skill set okay. was always there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But the only person who was sabotaging it all was me. Do you know what I mean? I've always had mm. business acumen and I've always been gifted with, in 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 business. I've always had an entrepreneurial mm. spirit. I love business. I'd like to think that I'm quite astute when it comes to business. But alcohol just got in the way. I had to go for five interviews for this job for Hard Rock Cafe. He sent me to Orlando to get trained. Again, still drinking, but just holding it together. But again, okay. it's just the drink got, got the better of me. I was working and then, you know, drinking heavily. I was living in Manchester on my own. And this is the sad thing about alcoholism. Like I said to you, it can be a very slow demise. I had to leave because I'd lost my job. And I had to, and at this point, this is quite a low, I had to go, come home and I was sofa surfing on my mum's sofa. Do you know what I mean? You know, I'm at this point, hmm. I'm in my late thirties and I'm going back to my mother's house. I had to stay on a sofa for, I think it was about six months. And I'm thinking to myself, what have I done with my life? And it's all alcohol based. Hmm. Um, but I didn't learn. I couldn't, because that's all I knew was the pub trade and the, and the restaurant hospitality trade, I kept returning to that industry. And then an old female friend of mine walked into this pub. This pub was on this, it was on top of a mountain, believe it or not, in South Wales. And I was working there <laughs> and um, I just finished work. And my friend, Anna, she came in. I hadn't seen her for years. She used to come in the, the Latin nightclub that I used to run 12 years earlier. I just finished work. I was living in this HMO, drinking what little wages I had. I used to wash dishes for a living. And any spare cash I had, I would spend on cheap booze. And that was my life. You know, I Sounds lost. like you were living life in, in reverse, Mark. 
Yeah. You had it all and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you and said, it literally is a slippery slope in terms of vocation, I, yeah, living I situation, lost, money. I lost I lost all confidence in my abilities. Do you know what I mean? Because I couldn't cope with things. So anything that was stressful, it would turn me to drink. I used to walk around in these dirty tracksuit bottoms that were just soaked from washing dishes all day. I didn't have a wardrobe as such. Do you know what I mean? I had like a couple of items of clothing. I used to live in this little single room in this HMO with a load of other people that were just, they were drifters as well and just up to no good. I used to walk to work. I used to walk a couple of miles to work up this long hill because I didn't have enough money to, there's no buses, that's right. And uh, mm. and I didn't have any money anyway. And I used to walk three miles up this big hill stroke mountain that where this pub was on. And that was my life. I used to get paid weekly. I used to think I used to get something like £200 a week for washing dishes. And I... You know, after I paid my rent, I had like, I don't know, about 50 quid. And I used to just spend it all on hardly eating my weight. I went down to about 12 stone, just drinking nasty, cheap cider and stuff like that. And it was, when I look back, it was really depressing, really depressing. And that was my life. I just, I had just didn't care. I'd hit such rock bottom. And then Anna came into this pub and she said to me, mm. you know, oh, I haven't seen you for ages. I'm a Christian now. Would you like to come to church with me? <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think it was, a, it was a Saturday night. That was it. I was in my dirty tracksuit bottoms having a pint in the end of the bar. And she was up there doing some amateur dramatics. And she just popped into the pub on the, on the way back with her brother, funny enough. And uh, yeah, and she... This woman's really evangelical, do you know what I mean? She's a hairdresser okay. by trade. And what an amazing woman, though, do you know what I mean? Absolutely amazing. Yeah. She's one of these that just tells the gospel to anybody who will listen to her, do you know what I mean? Mm. And always looking to spread the gospel. Amazing. And if it wasn't for her, I'd most probably be dead now, to be honest with you, because I ended up going to church with her. And that's where I met Did God. she invited you to church that, that very night then? She did, yeah. And I, I think the following day, it was a Sunday. I remember it was a Sunday night. And I thought to myself, Jura, what have I got to lose? I've got nothing to lose, do you know what I mean? I knew I had some sort of belief system. And something inside me just just made me think, Jura, give it a go. I was sort of thinking, well, what have I got to lose? You may as well just go, do you know what I mean? It'd be nice to see Anna and stuff like that. And mm. this is 2013. And I didn't know this at the time, obviously, but there was a, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in a place called Cumbran, Victory Church it was called. Okay. And this church was in a, like an old warehouse and they'd, they'd done it up. And it was quite a big church, actually, with a mm. huge plot of land at the back for parking and stuff like that. And she picked me up from the pub, funny enough. I'd, I'd, we'd done Sunday service. I'd washed all the dishes and made myself as clean as possible and just tidied myself up a little bit and she picked me up from the pub and we went to Cumbran which is about about 30 miles from where I was working and she drove mm. me there and I always remember we turned up there and there was like queues to the park, car park going in and there was all these like <laughs> car park attendants and he looked I was thinking these guys look a bit shady and it turns out that was it legit was, yeah, it was. Yeah, so Victory Church is is 
an outreach centre for people who come out of prison and mm. were caught up in addiction and they wanted to turn their life around. They had a building where people would literally, they'd come out of prison or come off if they were addicted to anything, they would go and live in this house, like a commune. And, you know, it was run by ex-cons, ex-addicts. And it was like quite a, you know, you went there, you you completely, it was complete abstination from anything. And you lived with right. that as, a, as like a, a load of guys together. And, you know, you'd go to church and they, you know, the, the guy who sort of headed up the church, Richard Taylor, his name was, or is, and um, he had all these guys that, that, that were, you know, ex-cons and ex-addicts and they were, they were sort of the car park attendants. So I was like, come in. I was like, well, what's this about? This is really unusual. Anyway, so we parked up and it was like hundreds and hundreds of cars. Do you know what I mean? It was on a Sunday night. I was thinking, this is crazy. Do you know what I mean? Where are all these people coming from? And we went inside and it was about, must have been about 2,000 people in there, inside this warehouse. Mm. And yeah. the guy's preaching. And I remember just, you know, it was quite dark in there and there's people all, you know, big, big warehouse and converted into a church. Everybody was stood up. It was quite dark. And I remember just standing there listening to, and there was a guy next to me and he was speaking in tongues. I didn't know at the time. And I was like, so, you know, these people are just speaking in this funny language. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'd heard of speaking in tongues from the Bible, but I didn't, I'd never mm. ever seen it. I was thinking, this is right. crazy, man. This is really, but, you know, it really, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in that place for, I think it lasted for about six months, was, it was church every single night of the week, I think, apart from, I thought, apart from one night, I think it was a Saturday night doing every, I can't remember, it was one night, but six nights of the week, mm. you'd have two to 3,000 people turning up to worship. Can I God. interrupt you there, Mark? Just yeah. for, for those who don't know, when you say an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, can you just... Can you yeah. just describe what you mean by that for those who may be thinking, what on earth is that? Apparently, the story goes that a guy was in a wheelchair and they prayed for him and he was completely healed. And he ended up picking his wheelchair up and running around the auditorium. Why would that lead to people coming from all around the country and Europe and people would listen in from Australia and New Zealand because they used to have a live mm. feed as well? And I, was, I always remember thinking, this has to be God. This has to be the Holy Spirit, you know, mm. in this place. Because why would all these people just come from nowhere? Just because yeah. somebody got healed, they wouldn't have known. And to see a move of God is quite interesting to see, see it in reality because it's messy, mm. it's crazy, you yeah. know, it's impromptu, it's unorganized. They had a, like an overspill area where... They had to open that up and it was, you'd have queues, hundreds of people queuing to get in. Now that has to, surely mm. that has to be a, a work of God. And I, you know, So, I thought, so from, from what I understand you're saying is, is that it's like a concentration of the Holy Spirit, you know, and God moves in power. So you've talked about miracles. Yeah, you've talked yeah. about, you know, every, like people just being hungry to just turn up to yeah. this place. So you're talking about hundreds and thousands of salvations happening in a concentrated place. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember people going on, on, on a journey. They were saying they were going to Wales to this church yeah. 
because the word they used, there was this revival going on. There were, you know, and again, I, I heard stories of people saying they had to queue out outside of this yeah. church. It's definitely, it's definitely the same place. But, but you're saying you, you literally were, were there. You're in that place. Yeah. You're a non-Christian. Yeah. You know, your, 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 your life's sorry, sorry, mate, but like you, you, you sorry, said mate. it yourself, you're like your life, you were at rock bottom yeah. and you find yourself in this place where apparently God is. Yeah. So what happened? <laughs> well, it was, I just couldn't get my head around it all. I couldn't understand this. Like Cumbran is just like this little town in Gwent, right? They've got a shopping center there. Uh, it's not really known for anything in particular. Do you know what I mean? It's just a little market town in South Wales. And the church, I think the normal congregation was maybe a couple of hundred people, if that, on a Sunday. And that went from that to every single night to two to 3,000 people every single night. Mm. And that went on mm. for like six months, something like that. Yeah. And you'd have people coming from everywhere, non-believers, giving their life to, you know, you'd have an altar call and it'd be about 300 people come to the front and mm. just to be prayed for. And then one thing I noticed was that they had loads of people with blankets. And I was like, what's going on here with the blankets? And they were like modesty blankets, they called them, I think, where mm. women would fall on the floor after being touched by the Holy Spirit. They would put a blanket over there. You know, if they had a dress on or a skirt, legs, yeah. Yeah. to just yeah. cover their legs, and there would be people. There'd be people. You know, they would have catchers, they dedicated catchers, so people catching people. So then, so the yeah. the pastors that were uh, um, administering prayer to the congregation. Um, imagine the best way to describe it. Imagine like I don't know, like Glastonbury or something like that, where you've got loads of people. At the front of a, a, you know, on a smaller, le- le- um, on a smaller stage. Don't get me wrong, but you'd, you know, you'd have like all these people just five, six deep, you know, at the front of this sort of stage area, and then the mm. pastor would come down and just lay hands on on whoever was preaching, and you'd have other pastors there as well. It was like a team of them laying hands on people, mm. and it's just people falling over left right and center you know yeah. in the holy spirit because god's powerful um, right you know you come yeah, you come yeah. to the presence of god well i'd never you know, seen it's it like before. bam power yeah i'd never ever seen it before i'd never seen i was like and i've got to be honest i thought oh, what's, what is this gotta be gotta be making this up surely this you know are these people doing this for effect or what but i thought well, why would you want to do that anna was Really good to me. She come alongside me. Like I said, I owe my life to that woman. Do you know what I mean? She really blessed me. She looked after me in the early years of becoming a Christian. And we used to go to church together and I used to go to church in Cardiff. And I needed something radical, really, for me to turn my life around. And it was Mm. that going every day of the week. You know, we used to go literally, I'd, I'd finish work and I would go to church. And around that time then, I finally uh, ditched working in a pub. I got a job um, working for British Gas, funny enough, in a contact centre. And I cut that. My eyes had opened. I thought, right, I've got to cut this this tie to alcohol and to, to working in that environment. And that was the last time I worked in a pub. And I was done with alcohol. And I just worked for British Gas for, I think I worked for them for about two or three years. 
and the Lord helped me clean my life up. You know, it was it was a touch from the Holy Spirit, I believe, that I was able to start turning my life around. And it, was know, it was it at one of those those evening services, Mark? Then when when you made that decision, because what was it like the first time you were like, you know what? Yeah, I've heard the pastor preach about Jesus. You know, I've seen the work of the Holy Spirit. I've seen God move. Bam, that's it. Didn't have a monumental bang. I'm healed. It was a process for me. You know, mm-hmm. I t- okay. took me a while to to clean myself up, should we say? Okay. Uh, but I kept going back. I kept wanting to go back. I kept wanting to find out more about what was going on. And then, about a month later, then I got back to the pastor there. This little Scottish guy. He was one of the, the one of the pastors at this church. I remember him saying to me, oh, do you want to get baptised? And I said, yeah, yeah, I want to get baptised. And, you know, I'd give my life to the Lord and I got baptised in this little paddling pool in Cumbran. I remember there was, you know, there's talking volume. That particular night, I think there was about 20 people getting baptised. Okay. You know, and that was a regular thing every right. night, people getting baptised. And yeah. then got baptised and... We kept going there, whilst also as well going to a church in Cardiff. Cumbran sort of, it lasted for about six months, this impartation of the Holy Spirit in this place. And then mm. the Holy Spirit moved on and, mm-hmm. you know, they just went back to normal church. Yeah. And it was strange. I, to this day, I, you know, the kingdom of God's full of mystery, isn't it? You know, and I don't understand yeah. how the Holy Spirit can land on a place for a while and why the Holy Spirit then dissipates. Or go somewhere else. But he doesn't know, does he, Mark? Like, 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 there's a bit because again, you know, I don't understand how the Holy Spirit can turn up at a loom night, yeah. and just heal heal a swollen eye, and for the swelling to yeah. disappear. You know, it's not it's not like it's not like okay, fine, he's here, um, he's at work, and he's gone again. You know, the Holy Spirit, as the as the word says, he, he lives in us. He does, yeah. Um, and you're I, right. I mean, there are concentrated areas and timings and that sort of stuff, and we, we'll never understand no. why God turns up in those those areas. But, yeah, he's still at work every single day in every single Christian. I mean, I went to – it's funny. I went to a conference re- recently in Eastgate. It was an encounter weekend, and it mm. was interesting because they, what they were saying and what I believe as well, I believe that God – and the Holy Spirit, I believe, is in constant encounter with us. I believe that, mm-hmm. that we, if we choose to, we can be in constant encounter with God. It's, it's us that break that encounter, whether it's we're too busy, whether we're, you know, yeah. our lifestyle is not what it should be, whether, you know, we're just not, for whatever reason, we're just not encountering the Lord. But I believe that he wants to be constantly encountered with us. You know, he lives in us, you're right. But for whatever mm-hmm. reason, in that place, it stopped. And mm-hmm. I don't know the reason why. I, I've got no idea why that mighty move of the Holy Spirit went, but it did. You think of all the thousands of people though, whose lives were changed. Well, think of your life. Because <laughs> yeah. you're, you're not in Cardiff anymore. No. You're here. <laughs> you no. know, you're here in, in Bishop Storford. Um, yeah. You're part of Loom as well i mean like it, it, you, having having you as part of loom has been fantastic just knowing you as a friend and and having you um 
just just love people and support people i mean why do you do it why <laughs> why why are you here why are you at loom what, yeah, what are you doing was, here at the minute it's a good question i think back to anna and i think you know that woman took time to help me to reach out to me and you know, help mm-hmm. me turn my life around because it was a train wreck. And like I said to you, I most probably wouldn't be here now if it wasn't for her. Because I've lived and walked a life that's unraveled over time. I can see how that can happen with people. People are, you know, they're not born addicted to drugs or addicted to alcohol or with mental health problems or lost, lonely, whatever their issues are. Life can be cruel and life deals you, can deal you, a bad hand and also we make wrong decisions and foolish decisions along the way like myself you know everything God's plan for me wasn't what happened to me for those 20 years these were just poor decisions by me I made those decisions myself I believe God had a better plan for me you know I got there in the end it's like a sat-nav, isn't it? Where you go down the wrong direction and the sat-nav eventually redirects you to, to the right path. And I think our life can be like that. Eventually, I was able to get on the right path. I believe God has always had a wonderful plan for me. He predestined it. He chose me to, to come to this earth and to live a wonderful life. And I believe that that is his plan for everybody. Now... Mm-hmm. Going back to why I am passionate about Loom is because when I see people that are broken and lost, I want to be like Anna. I want to pay that forward and help people if I can to find their way back to Jesus, to find yeah. their way back because it it's easy to lose your way. I've become more and more passionate about leaving a 99 and going after the one. It's a real big thing for me at the moment. I see people and in their brokenness. There's goodness in people and everybody, you know, and everybody deserves a second chance and everybody deserves to live their best life. But I think it's it's down to us to to reach the loss, to find the loss, to mm-hmm. to help people get back on track. What God originally had planned for them and what he wants for them. And there's there's some amazing people out there, you know, that are just lost, you know, and it can happen over the course of time. You know, I know loads of people mm-hmm. that have think to themselves is this it is this all there is to life you know people are just really overloaded with work people have got a couple of kids and they're married but they're just they're slogging the rat race going into london you know you see people on the tube and they just look drained and you could see in their faces they're thinking what has my life been about you know what what on earth is this this can't be it I heard it described um, a certain way, and this is the thing that resonated with me, that we're all born with um, like a a God-shaped hole in our heart. And the busyness of life leads you to believe that actually there are other things that can fill it. Yeah. Um, You know, drug, drinks, friends, relationships, money, sex, power, job, you know, position, all, all that sort of stuff. And again, from your own story, and again, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Clearly, you tried to fill that with, yeah, you tried to fill that hole um, with alcohol, with um, position in terms of your job, in terms of busyness. You know, looking looking the part. Then you tried to fill it with freedom and a tra- and traveling around the world, yeah. and, but nothing fits it quite like God. 
Like yeah. that's that's the thing, you know, we're we're missing a piece. And you're right, I'm just as passionate as, as you to to help people figure it out. But I think you can like you said, you can only figure it out if you've if you've been there yourself. If you if you've tried was, it yourself. I was listening to something last night and I've i this is most probably one of the most profound things I've heard. It was um Bill Johnson his father, Earl Johnson, once said, you, you, until you wash someone's feet, you don't know why they limp. You don't understand why they limp until you've washed their feet. And that pretty much sums up what Loom's about. That we come alongside these people and we just try and show them who God is, I suppose. It's an amazing thing, Loom, you know. And I'd heard about it, but until I got involved fairly recently, I didn't realise what a powerful connect group it is. Like yourself and Beth and Ian and Jackie, the work that you've been doing over the years to come alongside people is just so profound. Selfless is what I'm trying to say. What would you say to the people, Mark, listening to this that, that have maybe connected to to some of what you said about, you know, I mean, you used to use the word brokenness and downhill, you know, what, what, what advice have you got? Sorry, mate, just bring this on you. No, no, no. no I... Sort it out in a sentence. <laughs> I believe that God has a plan for us all and he wants the best for us. Always has done. And he's walking with us even when we don't realise it. God was walking with me long before I became a Christian, long before I gave my life to the Lord. He's always had his eye on me. He's a gentleman and he's patient. The one thing about my story as well, you know, when I came to the Lord, I didn't just have it all together. You know, it took me a while. I fell away and come back and fell away and come back, you know, and that's a story for another time. But God is a loving father and he loves us all more than we'll ever, Mm. ever know, more than we'll ever, ever, ever comprehend. And it's never too late for anybody it doesn't matter how far gone you are. In an instant, he can orchestrate something, send somebody to a, a pub on a mountain to come and get me in my darkest days. Wow. As you know, I love a bit of scripture. Yeah. <laughs> Just to wrap things up, like um, a lot of people will say there's a particular Bible verse, uh, a life verse I've heard it called before. Have you got anything like that? Is there anything that, that particularly springs to mind or or even now as the, the Holy Spirit's prompting you, is there any any verse that you particularly yeah, want to highlight? It's Joel 2.25 and it says, I will restore to you what the locusts have taken. That, that blew me away when I heard that all those years ago, eight, nine years ago. And I thought, mm. if God can do that, he's restored me. You know, I have an amazing life now. I have a beautiful wife that loves me. I have a, a, a loving home, a peaceful home, a lot of amazing friends. We've got a business that we, we love and we've got dreams to sow into the kingdom and to sow into our community, you know. And again, that's that's for another time. But he's restored to me what the locusts took. And I think he can restore to anybody what the, the locusts have taken. That's a quite a profound Amen. verse. I agree. Mark, thank you so much um, for your your openness and your honesty and, and just sharing with us your story. Um, I've got so many more questions that I'll, I'm going to ask you <laughs> about as well. I'll, prob- I'll probably invite you back uh, to go into more detail. But yeah, I just 
I just want to thank you. And um, yeah, if, if anyone out there is, is listening to this and, and you've got questions, please visit the, the Loom website or, or do do contact us. Um, uh, Loom meets every Tuesday at 7.30 at the Caris Centre in Bishop Stortford. Um, please, we'd love to see you there. Um, uh, and if you want to meet, meet me or, or meet Mark and, and ask some questions, please feel free to come along. We'd, we'd love to see you there. But uh, for now, that's that's the end of this episode of The Loom Rooms. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.